America, again, hat, at ease. That saddens me greatly to have to announce to some of you all that the Dallas Cowboys defeated the New Orleans Saints last night, 27-17. And the big question around the big state of Dallas is, where in the hell is Ezekiel Elliott? See, this right here is exactly what Joe Biden meant that time when he quoted Rick James. Remember? Remember what he said? Never should have given you Negroes money. See there? Listen to me. Listen to me, man. Ezekiel Elliott ain't showed up to work yet since he got paid. Okay? Got that stimulus. <laughs> it's whatever, man. You can tell he got that stimulus. That's why he got them old black ass weed lips. Listen here, man. And I guess Taysom Hill, I guess he done had to learn the lesson the hard way like he did last night. I guess he done found out that the Kunta ball don't work for him either. I guess he thinks that it's okay to throw for four interceptions and you gotta run for over 100 yards. See, that's some of that old Lamar Jackson type stuff right there, okay? The only thing Tyson Hill didn't do last night was try to show up at last night's game with some cornrows in his hair. Okay, it ain't gonna work. By the way, did y'all also hear that the Juicy Schmolet trial is starting in Chicago? Rumor is that Barack Obama is supposed to speak up as a special character witness for him. You know, him and Juicy go way back, you know, like four flats on a Cadillac back in Chicago, man. I can't wait to hear this. Listen, y'all, we have another great show planned for you today. Hey, our overseas affiliate, Steve, hey Jay, Kim. He'll be here to give his thoughts on the Antonio Brown three-game suspension that he received from the NFL. And uh, then we're gonna be have returning to the show. We got our guy, Wilfred Riley, and he's joining us to talk about the liberalism going on in college campuses. You know how they go back like that and <laughs> Then joining the show for the first time, Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Jason talked about Senator Johnson early in the week, and the senator graciously accepted Jason's invitation. Much respect for that. He accepted to come on, and he discussed his views on the tragedy in Wisconsin and the other issues going on in the country. And lastly, we have my guy, the Minister of Intel, Delano. I call him the fearless bomber, because all this dude does is drop them truth bombs. Well, he's gonna be here to join us, and he's gonna discuss his latest column that he's written. Also, do me a favor, give Jason them five stars. Give me five stars just cause he asked for them. Think of Jason as a homeless person standing at a stop sign holding up a sign that says, we'll work for five stars. Just be kind, give the brother the five stars just because. And also, you know what it is. Ha! It's Mr. Button time. Hit the likes, hit the subscribes. Show your care. Hit the share. All right. You know what time it is. It's time to release the doves. Release the hounds. It's time to type dilly dilly if you feel me. So all right, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> boys and girls, children of all ages, step right up and see the man with the hairy breast. Jason Whitlock.
Happy Friday, uh, and good job, Uncle Jimmy. Uh, I have a small fire today. Uh, we'll have a big fire, I believe, and, and again, not in a, we're gonna have an interesting conversation with Ron Johnson, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I do wanna start today, uh, we're gonna go out to Steve Kim, cause I wanna talk about the Antonio Brown, Aaron Rodgers situation. And it's, it's funny that I'm saying the Antonio Brown, Aaron Rodgers situation because these two, although they're both related to COVID, they really have nothing to do with each other. It's kind of crazy how people have, I saw a Sports Illustrated story that was basically asking the question of uh, why did Antonio Brown get a three-game suspension for violating COVID protocols and a fake vaccine card, allegedly, and why did Aaron Rodgers only get a $14,000 fine for misleading the media on his vaccination status? This is a stupid question. It's only being asked because we love, we're obsessed now in the media and across social media with anything that happens to a black person, we immediately have to say, oh, well, a white guy did it and nothing happened to him. Antonio Brown and Aaron Rodgers are two completely different people, situations, two different crimes. Aaron Rodgers, if anything, committed a misdemeanor when he told the media that he was immunized. Aaron Rodgers, by all reports, didn't lie to his teammates, didn't lie to the NFL, didn't lie to the Green Bay Packers, didn't lie to his coaching staff. He told them exactly what was going on with him. He chose to mislead the media. That's not a felony. I would hate to even call it a misdemeanor. The media chooses every day to mislead the public. So what went on with Aaron Rodgers and uh, Antonio Brown? They're not analogous. Antonio Brown misled his team according to all the allegations, misled the NFL, provided a fake vaccination card. He lied to his employer. The media, nor the public, we're not the employer of Aaron Rodgers. So, A.B., and, and then, I, I hate to put these facts into the air. But let's go look at Antonio Brown's rap sheet versus Aaron Rodgers' rap sheet. Let's take race completely out of the equation. Race is not appropriate for this discussion. And that's the only thing that could be making people want to ask this question. Sports Illustrated want to ask this question. Aaron Rodgers didn't get suspended. Antonio Brown did. What's why? Does the NFL look bad? Does it look biased because Aaron Rodgers is a franchise quarterback? 
Aaron Rodgers has no history of getting on the wrong side of the Green Bay Packers or the NFL or law enforcement. AB has a horrible track record and history. He's had problems with the police. He's had problems with teammates. He's had problems with girlfriends. He's threatened violence. He's been involved in what could only be domestic incidents, accusations from massage therapists that he violated them. He's been involved in all kinds of things. Look what he got into with, with the Raiders and calling uh, Mike Mayock a cracker, if my memory serves. Any, Antonio Brown's rap sheet is so long that there's no wonder the NFL slapped him with a three-game suspension. And, and you got to understand something. For the first time in my life, or in his career, I'm actually on AB's side. I don't have a problem with him providing a fake vaccination card. I don't think he's, he's far from alone. Two other guys got tagged with the same thing, the same three-game suspension. It's pervasive throughout the NFL throughout the NBA, I would, I would imagine as well, throughout professional sports. Hats off, it's one, getting the fake vaccination card is one of the few things that uh, Antonio Brown has done that I actually like and respect. But let's don't try to muddy the waters here and go, oh, I wonder why the NFL is cracking down on him. Is this racism and they didn't treat Aaron Rodgers the same way? That's a joke. A.B. in NFL circles, or he's a habitual line stepper, line cutter, habitual criminal. His rap sheet and the problems and the negative headlines that go along with, Aaron, uh, with Antonio Brown is as long as anybody's in the NFL. That's why they got him with a three-game suspension. And the three-game suspension ain't really a three-game suspension. He was going to miss the next two games with uh, ankle injury anyway. It's a one-game suspension. Now he's missing three paychecks. But let's don't be foolish here and start feeling sorry for Antonio Brown because he finally uh, or not finally, but he once again got his hand slapped by the NFL. Let's don't forget who Antonio Brown is, and let's don't smear who Aaron Rodgers is uh, just because the media doesn't like him and because the media feels misled by him and because he doesn't get along with his parents or some of his teammates think he's aloof. Those aren't crimes. A guy goes into court in front of a judge with a long criminal history, and a guy goes in as a first-time offender on, oh, we caught you speeding, we caught you going 62 and a 55, and that's what happened to Aaron Rodgers. He was pulled over for going 62 and a 55. That's what misleading the media and not wearing a mask at press conferences. It's going 62 and a 55. Let's don't be shocked that they didn't throw the book at Aaron Rodgers and they didn't suspend him. He didn't deserve it. Uh, let's roll out.
to the Korean Cosell. He's out in Las Vegas. Uh, Cosell, Steve Kim, uh, have I missed anything here? Is, is I don't get these people that somehow think AB's crime is analogous to Aaron Rodgers' misdemeanor of misleading the media. Jay, first of all, good Friday morning to you. And I think there's a lesson here to be learned from everybody. Pay your personal chefs, especially if they know all your secrets, because the people that know a lot, they know too much. They're very dangerous. But, Jay, I think you're absolutely right. The the big crime that Aaron Rodgers committed was not being fully transparent with the self-important media. So, in essence, this is a parking violation or a speeding ticket. What AB did, uh, I don't know if we want to call it worse, it's certainly more or less of a moving violation. And it calls into question Bruce Arians before the beginning of the season at the start of training camp, he made the declaration, we are fully vaccinated as a team. And as we're finding out more and more, that may not be true, Jay. And I know that you have had your suspicions about those type of claims. You know, I was just really thinking about this. Uh, At what point does the NFL Players Association get together with all their player reps? And I think it's too late at this stage. We're too far into the season. But heading into next year, as the expectation is you need to get your third shot, your fourth shot, your fifth shot. Then you need to get a booster on top of your booster, uh, on top of your finisher and your cleanser. Do they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. At what point? Do our individual players have the right to say enough is enough? To me, that's the big question going into next year as it relates to the whole issue. Also, in terms of that Sports Illustrated writer, look, it's low-hanging fruit, and it's a way of a lot of these guys to take the side that's very convenient for social media and, in essence, to get your woke card. Aaron Rodgers did nothing wrong but except to lie to a bunch of disinformation specialists. And to me, at the end of the day, that's not that big of a deal. You you reminded me of another point that I wanted to make, so I, I'm I'm glad you you referenced it. And why am I just having a brain fart? You oh, it was it's the whole point of don't lie to your chef. And 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 what my point is, it's not just a it's pay your debts. Yes. This is A.B.'s problem. He keeps running into problems with people. He keeps stiffing on the tab. There's a whole laundry list, long list of people that A.B. has refused to pay. And one of the I'm one of my biggest commitments in life is to try to make sure I don't financially wrong people. Right. That I don't uh, treat people poorly, whether it be a waiter or any, because again, if I get bad service, I'm still going to leave a 15% tip pretty much because I, I have a paranoia. It's like, I don't want anybody upset with me. I don't want anybody thinking I stiff them because that's the person who will run behind your back or as soon as you get in any kind of jam or trouble, they're going, oh yeah, I had this experience with this person and he was this or that. And so AB has sown the seeds to be sold out by people that have come in contact with him. If he was in the habit of paying his debts Mm -hmm. and treating people well, they would have never squealed on him for turning in a fake vaccine, vaccine card. 
This is, again, I, the only Jason. thing AB's ever really done that I like is the fake vaccine card. Almost everything else. I can't stand about the guy, including the fact he doesn't pay his debts. He's wealthy. He should understand that working class people and working people need to be paid, but he treats them like they're less than him. And so whenever they get a chance to get some revenge and they just got some now, they, by not paying that chef, what, five, six, eight, ten thousand dollars He's lost three game checks, and I guarantee you they add mm. up to more than whatever he owed that chef. I, I hope people are taking that life lesson uh, from this. Uh, Steve, I, I want to give you an opportunity just because I know you're a hardcore uh, college football fan. Uh, I'm a little bit tight on time, but I want to know your take on Georgia-Alabama. It's the biggest game of the college weekend. It's bigger than Michigan and Iowa. Uh, you think the SEC will fix this game to make sure that Alabama gets into the playoffs? Uh, or can Alabama still get into the playoffs with a second loss here? Uh, who do you think wins Georgia-Alabama? Very simple. Kirby Smart, this is your life. Okay? You've gotten up that hill like that Greek uh, mythology figure, Sisyphus, and then the boulder keeps coming right down on them. They've, they've had Alabama... Uh, two of the last three times, not the last time they played last year, uh, dead to rights, and they blew the game. And this year's Georgia team defensively is historically good. To give up less than single digits on average in today's college football in a very offensive game is amazing. If they finish this out undefeated, I'd make an argument they're the greatest defense that ever played. Question is, can Stetson Bennett lead a team to a national title? I have to give him credit. This former walk-on has become a game manager to serviceable to actually pretty good. They have a strong running game. They have a great young tight end in Bowers, and they have serviceable receivers. But defensively, they clog people up. Alabama, if you actually look at their season, they have scuffled with some teams that you would think that they would blow out, namely LSU. And I look at the Alabama team and thinking, is this a vintage Nick Saban team? No, but I've seen this in the past. When it comes to rivalries, and we saw this last week with Ohio State and Michigan, when you keep losing games against your arch rival and it starts to weigh on you mentally, it becomes more of a psychological hurdle than actually a physical one. But just my view, Georgia is that much better than everybody else from a physical standpoint. They absolutely pound you, and that includes Alabama. But on the flip side, Alabama led by Bryce Young and Jamison Williams and a very solid running game. Uh, they're the best offensive team that they have faced thus far. And so this is still th a thing where Nick Saban is like Bill Belichick in the National Football League. He dominates his assistants. So I really believe that – Georgia should win this game by 10 to 14 points, but seeing is believing, Jason. I think Georgia can survive a loss and still make the playoffs and then avenge that loss in the playoffs, so my money's going to be on Alabama this weekend. Uh, Steve, enjoy your weekend in Vegas. It looks like, are, are you, did you just come home from a nightclub? Are you headed to a nightclub? <laughs> I see you got your shirt unbuttoned. No. You're about ready to have a wild time out in Las Vegas. Uh, 
I got to go. Don't even respond to that. I got to go. I want to tell you about my good friends over at Good Ranchers. They're the ones you need to be checking out this holiday season. They exist to support local American farms and help you make great American meals. Together, they want to restore the American ranch and your meals to their former glory. Good Ranchers has the best grass-fed and grain-finished beef, chicken, and seafood. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless right now and get 10 free bistro fillets when you subscribe. In addition, you'll save $25 off each subscription box of mouthwatering American meats for life. That's right, get 10 free bistro fillets. That's $119 in value, free express shipping, and $25 off your monthly subscription for life at GoodRanchers.com fearless. We are Good Ranchers soldiers and part of the Good Ranchers family. You guys know how to support me and how to support this show. Support GoodRanchers.com. Go to slash fearless or use the promo code fearless at checkout. All right, Professor D, Delano Squires. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, time to bring in our man Delano Squires, Professor D, uh, the smartest man on the show. He's written another brilliant column uh, today about black men in my generation must lead the battle against radical feminists, Black Lives Matters, and the groups out to destroy uh, the nuclear family. I suggest you all go read it on theblaze.com. Uh, I want to read the intro. America's centuries-long battle to become a more perfect union has devolved into a war on the marital union. Nowhere has this fight against marriage and the nuclear family been more intense than among black men, women, and their children. This war is not being waged by racists and white hoods. That type of fight would spark a strong communal response. No, the soldiers dismantling the black family wear Black Lives Matter t-shirts, call themselves radical feminists and allies, teach at prestigious universities, and often share the pigmentation of the people they want to emancipate from the patriarchy. Worse, these soldiers claim they are pro-family. Then he goes on to, bring, to talk about Brittany Cooper, uh, the, the Rutgers professor we talked about yesterday and her comments on Mark Lamont Hill and uh, about abortion. Uh, Delano, has been wrestling with uh, Brittany Cooper over Twitter uh, the past couple of days. Uh, Delano, I see you know, you're not afraid to wrestle above your weight class. Uh, but anyway, uh, go ahead and uh, further elaborate on the column uh, that you wrote today. Thanks, Jason. So, so for me, this column really came from you know, one particular line um, of response from Professor Brittany Cooper in, in our back and forth dialogue, she said something that I think really sort of got to me and set a lot of people off. And she said that the black community does not need nuclear fam families for the community to thrive, right? I'm paraphrasing. And anyone who understands her background She's a self-professed radical feminist um, and some of her other work and, and some of it I've, I've quoted before where she said she's glad the nuclear family has gone the way of the floppy disk, basically saying she's glad that it's becoming extinct, understands that when she says we don't need the nuclear family, what she's really saying is we don't need black men. 
Um, and that was one thing that I just I, I had to write about. I had to respond to. And this and this column really is about that. Right. The, the ideology of the rad femmes, the radical feminists, BLM, the useful idiots who promote their ideology, the ones in the media. And I talk about those. And then the black masses who follow these people uh, unwittingly sort of promoting an agenda that really is self-destructive. So that's really why, why I wanted to write the article. This, this fight, this war, this battlefront has been raging for the better part of 60 years. I talk about how it started really, you know, some of the great society programs in the 1960s, uh, changing sort of cultural norms around the sexual revolution and second wave feminism. And it's really devolved to the point where in the black community, our most intellectual, professional, influential um, figures are ones that active, either actively fight against the nuclear family or um, passively allow those actors to subvert uh, the importance of marriage in the nuclear family. So th that's really why I want to write the column. I I'm glad you did. And, and you know, I, I, the evolution of my relationship with Delano on this show and then off air is like there are things that I realized about myself and about America and the and the black community in particular that I sit here and know that early in my life I did not prioritize family nearly enough. I would have made different decisions in my relationship life if I had. Now here I am at 54 and it's like I fully understand the benefits of family, the joy that comes from family. And, and, and instead, of, I, I look at people like Brittany Cooper and some of these other people that maybe have made the same mistake that I have, but have become bitter and have tried to normalize and mainstream mm -hmm. the decisions they made and the mistakes they made. So I wasn't wrong. We don't need the family. Where I'm actually the other direction is like, no, I was previously wrong and <laughs> I, want, I don't want other people to make that mistake that I made and prioritize career or money or kicking it with my boys or all the uh, fun that you think you can have with wealth and freedom and a lack of responsibility. And so I, when I look at Brittany Cooper and the things that she says and her allies and other people that, that are saying that, I just see bitterness with mm -hmm. their own lives and it's like, it makes me think of the saying, misery loves company. I want more people miserable like me living in the kind of dysfunction that I'm living in. And, and let's have more dysfunction among the black community and America at large. That'll make things better. If we just dismantle this whole family thing and everybody can be just as miserable and unfulfilled as I am, that'll make things better. And Jason, you, you bring up an excellent point because sometimes I like to, um, sometimes I will watch videos of these people without the sound on and whether you're looking at them talking at abortion rallies or talking about the nuclear family, even without the sound, you, you can see the, the anguish 
the seething hatred, the dissatisfaction with life just oozing out of their pores. So even in their own lives, they're not presenting a picture of life for themselves or, or family life that anybody should want to aspire to. Um, I've never met or seen a radical feminist, a radical racialist, um, a, a, a radical queer theory practitioner who I would characterize as content or at peace. And really what, what, I'm, what I'm looking for for the next generation, for my children's generation and my children's children and their children is to be able to pass on to, to them something that will stand the test of time. And, but instead what we have in our community through the talented tent, the Afrostocracy, we have our most well-trained minds allegedly committed to subverting those very things that a community needs to stay strong and to endure. So, so for black folk, we look back to our grandparents and our great-grandparents who had to endure actual oppression, actual white supremacy, actual discrimination. And in the midst of that, their response was to build, to build families, to build businesses, to build communities and institutions. And now our generation, who has every material comfort we could ever ask for, right? Even poor folks have iPhones. Our generation, our response is to destroy. Um, and, and that's really why I wanted to, to write the article because we, if we don't get this right, and I talk about this in the article, I, I talk about the 2119 project, which I describe as like a mashup of the Moynihan report, which talked about the state of the black family in the 1960s, and the 1619 project, which is uh, a reassessment of, of America's founding based on you know some of the, the thoughts of Nicole Hannah-Jones and others. And I'm saying the 2119 project is going to be our, our descendants looking back on the battle that we're waging now to see whether we won that or not. And to talk about the impact that the, that the change in family norms and structure will have had for them about a hundred years from now. And that's one of the most important things I think we should be talking about right now, because if not, that, that 2119 project is going to be the, the descendants of you know, the, the black people living now, talking about how black Americans went from slaves to citizens to serfs, a permanent underclass, constantly looking for affirmation and protection from benevolent whites and an ever increasingly large uh, government structure. Delano, uh, it, one of the reasons why I think you're so important is because this fight needs to happen, this war mm -hmm. needs to happen, and, and there has to be people like you who can engage with the Afrostocracy, the, the people on these protected uh, college campuses who get trotted out there as the smartest people on the planet, and they represent mm -hmm. the thoughts of black people. And, and, and I just gotta be honest, I don't have your discipline. And cause you know, you're a bit further along because you're in a family structure, uh, because you gotta represent your wife and kids and your behavior has to be behavior that reflects well on your wife and kids, where me, more of a solo artist, that's why I'm not as disciplined. And that's why, I, I, to me, I can't have the wrestling match with Brittany Cooper because 
I would probably give in to the kind of malicious personal attacks that would mm. undermine my argument. And, mm. and that's why I'm so glad you're out here calling these guys out. I'm I, I hate to say it because I, I don't want to scare them off, but I'm glad they're engaging with you. Uh, and that's from Roley Martin to Brittany Cooper to Jamel Hill, uh, because you are our champion, and, and I'm glad to see at least they're not afraid to fight you. Uh, you know, I don't blame them for not fighting me because I wouldn't fight fair. Uh, so <laughs> I don't blame them, but I, I just, I love what you're doing. And, 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 and I know people may not understand it or, or may not, man, he's calling out these people. And blah. Well, they're calling us out. They're saying that right. Delano's family, that he's working hard to maintain, support, protect, blah, blah, that that's unimportant. This is a core value for Delano and should be a core value for all of us. And they're telling us that, no, those people are mistaken. That's unimportant. Screw the nuclear family. So I just want you to stay in the gym. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do my best. And, and really, I mean, one of the groups that I'm trying to reach, and I put it right, you know, we put it right in the title, is other black men because so many of us have had our minds shaped by feminism. So we proudly say we're male feminists and all this other nonsense. And too many black men are, are prancing around, sounding like house cats. But I'm, I'm glad for people like you, Jason, and the Fearless Army, because if, if you get enough dogs in the house, even the cats will start barking. And that's, and that's really what I'm looking for over the next couple of years. <laughs> Thank you, Delano. Thank you. Oh, man. Get enough dogs in the fight, even the cats will start barking. That's a new one. All right, uh, we're going to roll out to Wisconsin and uh, bring in Senator Ron Johnson, who may be a little upset with me, but I, I think we'll get along just fine. Uh, I had some critical words for him and the way he handled the Waukesha uh, massacre. But on most things, I think we agree, but we'll see here. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson. All right, welcome back. We want to roll out to Washington, D.C. I said Wisconsin earlier, but we're going to go to D.C. Senator Ron Johnson represents the state of Wisconsin, but he's actually, because he represents, he's actually in D.C. Uh, Senator Johnson uh, issued a joint statement with uh, Democratic Senator Tammy Baldwin about the Waukesha massacre, asking for it not to be uh, politically exploited. And I disagreed, and, and Senator Johnson, I'm a, I can be a little rough around the edges, I can be a little bit salty. I, I wanna tell you my purpose, and again, I think we're gonna have a very respectful conversation because I think we agree on most things. But I just think we're in a fight right now where the left is using race to mask their real agenda and to basically undermine the U.S. Constitution and, and they're wrapping their whole agenda in racial justice, racial this, racial that. And I think what uh, the Daryl Brooks and him being radicalized by the left, uh, 
and by corporate media. And, and I don't know what percentage of his radicalization can be directly attributed to corporate media and the way they've handled the race issue, but some percentage of it could, and we need to stop it, and it has to be called out. We're radicalizing people and turning and helping them become violent people capable of mass murder. And so, uh, you know, I want to apologize uh, for calling you a coward uh, and, and just say I disagreed with the joint statement because I think Tammy Baldwin needs to release a statement that says she'll no longer participate in a party that is using race to divide this country and undermine our Constitution and a way of life that has served all of us quite well. Uh, so that's all I want to say. I'm going to let you say, go from there. Well, first of all, Jason, uh, I agree with 100% of what you just said. And I, I, you don't have to apologize. I mean, this is a rough and tumble business. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, you, you weren't aware of the fact that I was actually asked to help out. You know, the, the, the people that that had to deal with that horrific tragedy uh, reached out to me on Friday. They were concerned that, that people might descend from both sides of the political spectrum, by the way. They were getting indications that people from both sides could descend on Waukesha, and they didn't know what kind of violence could ensue from that. So they just reached out and said, Senator, could you, could you do something to help? And so, well, I'm, I'm, I could ask people not to do that. You know, maybe get Tammy Baldwin just to, to ask the same thing. So it was really, it was all about preventing violence. It, it, it wasn't about uh, preventing the discussion, the debate that we have to have. As a matter of fact, uh, the Tuesday after the, the massacre, and it was a massacre, I was on Fox and Friends and I was kind of blasting uh, Milwaukee for their lax uh, enforcing the law, the, the, the catch release process, uh, not only at the southern border, but in high crime areas, uh, low bail, no bail. So Jason, I, I think you and I are uh, like 100% in agreement in terms of the radicalization of the left, the complicity of the media and the social media. Uh, they, they, have, they have drifted so far left. They've actually lurched to the left. We, we don't have a unbiased middle mainstream media anymore. We, we have conservative outlets like The Blaze. We got Fox News, other, other I suppose I shouldn't mention competitors. And then we have everybody else. And it is a significant disadvantage for us in the political realm. And I completely understand, I, I'm, trust me, Jason, you can't even out frustrate me in terms of how unfair and how destructive the mainstream and social media is to this nation and to our freedoms and to our liberty. I, I agree with Mark Levin, we need to awaken to the urgency of this moment. And that's been pretty much my, my entire message. I, I was just literally, I was doing what I was asked to do to just try and prevent violence. Waukesha had gone through enough and we're just trying to prevent a little bit more. But listen, I, I, I understand, you know, you're a pundit, you, you don't, you didn't, you know, you didn't have the entire story. And I, and I appreciate you reaching out here, I really do. That's, that's big yeah. I, I got to say, I'm so fired up about this issue, uh, just what the media is doing, because I'm really not, I'm not a political ideologue. I, I, I don't have a political affiliation. I'm conservative because I was brought up in the church and because I was an athlete and the values taught to me in sports and the church were conservative. I've never voted, Ron. I really don't have an intention of voting just because I, I like being a journalist and an observer. 
But the left has gone so far away from the truth. It's offensive to me as a Christian because it, it, it comes off as satanic, how hostile they are to any type of truth and reality and any accountability for the lies that they're telling and what it's creating. And listening to your explanation of, of why you put out the statement, I do understand it on a deeper level in the sense of, because I believe if the right and the left politically had descended on Waukesha, I don't think, and I'm just sorry, I'm just, this is just based on the facts. I don't think the people on the right would have been there to promote violence. I think the people on the left would have baited some sort of violence, and then the media would have spun it out and blamed it on the conservatives, and we could have been looking at uh, a, a second coming of Charlottesville, a second coming of January 6th, where anybody that's on the conservative side or looks like they're connected to Trump is the worst person on the planet and we must get rid of them and they're all a target. And so the reason I'm apologizing is because I know what team you're on and what you're trying to accomplish. Once I heard you on Glenn Beck's show, I got it on a deeper level of like, I could see the position he's in because if there was some sort of clash in Waukesha, we know who the media would have blamed and that would have made things e even worse. It, it, do you feel any sense of hope that the left, or at least political people, the, the politicians who are supposed to be responsible, will ever back off this racial strategy and racist strategy that they're using to divide the country? No, I, I, pr I pray fervently that they will. I'm just not seeing any signs of it. But, but Jason, trust me, we need your voice. We need people like you. It's, you know, the only thing that we have going for us is the truth. And, and I appreciate your passion. Uh, it, it can't be easy for you. Listen, I, I, I lost a dear friend, Pastor Jerome Smith, the pastor of the Greater Praise Church of God in Christ down in Center Street in Milwaukee. We teamed up with him, the Joseph Project. You know, an African-American, you know, it was not easy for him teaming up with me, a, a Republican senator. Uh, so I, I'm, this is not easy for you. I understand that. So, but I appreciate every conservative voice. I, I appreciate Martin Luther King Jr. His, his speeches are soaring. S-O-A-R-I. They, they are so inspiring. And if, if only every American could live by the ideal that he laid out for us to, to judge people by the content of the character versus the color of their skin. That's how I want to live. That's how you want to live. That's not how the left wants to live. They, they are the agitators. And, you know, we don't have we don't have a media. We don't have journalists. We have advocates. When, when, when people like Chuck Todd, they don't interview me. They argue with me. They, they aren't interested in the other viewpoint. They're not interested in freedom of expression and freedom of thought. They're interested in totalitarian type of, you know, lack of freedom, lack of freedom of the press. Uh, so listen, I appreciate your voice. Uh, we, we need more people like you. Uh, so again, that's why you no need to apologize whatsoever. I, you know, you really don't have to. I just appreciate, you know, what you do day in and day out. We just need more of you. I, I think 
or I've been told you put out a statement, I believe, yesterday about COVID and how uh, the Democrats and the left are using COVID in another attempt to undermine American freedom. I, I think it's all connected, but if you could tell our audience about the press release you put out about COVID and how this Omicron variant, the latest deal, just very mild symptoms allegedly in South Africa, and we're talking about shutting the country down again. This seems crazy to me. Well, let's start with the fact that we there's so much we don't know about coronavirus, the variants, COVID, the disease, COVID-19 vaccines. I mean, so first, let's start with a little modesty. The fact that we don't know a lot would certainly urge caution when it comes to pushing vaccines on everybody, particularly children, where we don't know the long-term impact of this. Uh, you have to ask the question, after 785,000 Americans have uh, been reported to have died from COVID, you know, has this response engineered by Fauci and the other COVID gods, the media, social media, has it worked? No, it's been a miserable failure, unless you're of the left and you want to control everybody and control everybody's life. Then this has been quite successful. Keep people in a state of fear. And that is how COVID has been used. They've kept people in a state of fear so they can control us. So again, the Omicron variant right now, when you listen to people from South Africa, pretty mild disease. You know, the coronavirus has been around for a long time. This is just one variation of it itself. And now this one is creating variants. Um, I guess I was never as freaked out as other people were. I ended up pretty early on in the pandemic getting COVID. I was completely asymptomatic as about 40 to 50% of the people that got it are. You know, why is that? You know, why isn't Fauci talking about what natural immunity people already had to this, probably from previous coronaviruses? Because they want to keep us in that state of fear so they can push a vaccine on us and then boosters every six months so they can control our lives. Look at what is happening around the, the world, in Australia, in Germany, in Austria, in Canada. They are using the vaccines and the vaccine pass passports to control people. They're, they're starting to quarantine those that have chosen not to get the vaccine. I mean, we, are, we have witnessed such a loss of freedom there, during this camp pandemic. And my main, my main point in the release is they are using the state of fear to limit our freedom. And it is about time that Americans reclaim our liberty and start leading normal lives again. Quit being so freaked out about a disease that the vast majority, unless you are very old or you've got some comorbidity, the vast majority of people tolerate it and get by and get natural immunity, which the science is also telling us happens to be more robust than the vaccines that unfortunately aren't as uh, long lasting as we all hoped they would be. Senator Johnson, I, I don't want to bait you into a gotcha question or answer, but I, I got to ask it. Uh, and I, I apologize if I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I, I just got to ask, are they using this COVID thing to have mail-in voting continue in 2022? That is my fear. I, I believe, again, I know I told you I'm a non-voter, but the voting process should be about people showing up and casting a ballot. I just don't think mail-in voting, it, it just seems too easy to be corrupted. 
So that's my fear about COVID is that we're going to continue on with this mail-in voting thing, and I'm not a fan of it. Well, I, I did mean to mention, we not only need your voice, we need your vote. So I'd encourage you to vote. Um, but no, let's face it, that's exactly how they used COVID in, in the 2020 election. You know, we doubled absentee balloting, and absentee balloting was, we were told by the Baker-Carter Commission, that it represented the greatest threat for voter fraud. And so we doubled absentee balloting while we relaxed so many of the controls, which is why a lot of people just don't have a real, you know, great deal of confidence in, in the result of that election. So, no, the, the left will continue to push that envelope. And I, it just was so galling yesterday when I heard President Biden say, you know, this COVID has just become so political. Well, it didn't become political. President Biden, you made it political and you continue to make it political. You continue to divide this country along the lines of the vaxxed versus the unvaxxed. That's what these mandates are all about. I mean, the mandates are re ridiculous. They're idiotic. They're pointless. We know people fully vaccinated can get infected. They can transmit the disease. So what are the point of mandates? You know, if you want to get a vaccine, great, get it. You, you, you have pretty good protection for a cer certain period of time. But I believe in health autonomy. I believe in freedom. I don't think anybody should be pressured, coerced, or fear reprisal for not subjecting themselves to any medical treatment, including the COVID vaccine. So no, the left has politicized this, President Biden politicized this, and it is galling for you to hear him say, hey, come on, let's, let's, let's not politicize COVID. Sorry, you did that. Senator Johnson, thank you so much for the time. Uh, I will stay in touch. Appreciate you making the time. Well, thanks for having me on. Have a great day. And vote. All right, you too. Uh, that was Ron Johnson, Senator for Wisconsin. Uh, you're watching me on youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock or Blaze TV, or maybe you're listening over Apple. Give me that five-star review. Uh, stick around. Uh, we're gonna go out to uh, Wilfred Riley. I wanna talk about some angst I have about college campuses and universities that is to some degree even impacting my passion for my alma mater. You guys know how important Ball State is to me. Uh, Wilfred Riley. It's my obligation on hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. Oh! Oh! Mm. Welcome back. I'm not Jason Whitlock. And no, you don't have to worry about adjusting your televisions because I think I can speak for everyone out there when I say, Corey, don't I look good? I wanna be just On today's show, we have the mother of all mothers of fire starters. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna tell you, today's show is gonna make Nagasaki look like a sprinkler, okay? Today's show is gonna make a, one of those dragons and uh, what the hell is that show? So I need you to hit the subscribe button, hit the phone friend button, and let them know Jason Whitlock. It I've got my fire extinguisher because today's show is gonna be hotter than, it's gonna be a smoke show. It's gonna be hotter than Shamika Michelle on a Monday. But first, I want to say something to the good peoples, the peoples of Good Ranchers. I'd like to say, Good Ranchers, 
They supply us with all of the fresh chicken, beef, and all of the fresh seafood that you could possibly find. The people at Good Ranchers are the reason that I'm in the shape that you see right here. You know, you can't imagine some of the things that go through people's minds when they see me coming through an airport. Next! In studio, we're gonna have LeBron James. He's gonna be coming in. He's gonna be begging for my forgiveness and telling me why I should forgive him. Our show for tomorrow, that's all I've got. Hey, Chris, can we roll my theme music, please? Jimmy wanna friend, Jimmy wanna steak, Jimmy wanna piece of your chocolate cake because Jimmy got soul. Jimmy got soul. Jimmy got S-O-U-L All right, welcome back. Uh, we're gonna go out to uh, the state of Kentucky and Wilfred Riley, a political science professor at Kentucky State University and the author of The Hate Crime Hoax. Wilfred's been on the show before, but it's been a while. I need a second to set up the discussion that I wanna have with Wilfred. I need the help of someone uh, who works in the university and the collegiate world uh, because I'm having a crisis of conscience. I keep reading more and more stories about what's going on and what the culture's like on these college campuses and universities, and it's shaking me up. It's, it's, it's got me thinking like they've won the culture war on college campuses. Should I just acknowledge that they've won retreat and bow out. I'm very passionate about my alma mater, Ball State. I read a story today in the Los Angeles Times, uh, not about Ball State, but about uh, Coastal Carolina, I believe. Professor there, I believe by the name of Steve Ernest. He works in the uh, drama department, theater department. And so let me walk you through this story a little bit, if I can, very quickly. A black female student asked a visiting professor, not the Steve Ernest, but a visiting professor, told that person that they wanted to connect with more non-white students on campus. And so the professor, who knew a little bit about the campus and new students, even though they were visiting, knew about it, the, the campus, they wrote down on a chalkboard, a whiteboard, the name of non-white students on campus that this student could connect with. Write it down on the chalkboard, and they leave the room. Later in the day, other students, including black students, walk into the room and see the names of these students on a board and the black students immediately assume, oh, our names are all on this chalkboard because there's gonna be some kind of racism targeted against us. They walk into a room, see their names on the chalkboard, and assume that there's gonna be racism targeted at them. They complain or tell this to people on campus. The university investigates, finds out what it was that it was a black student asking a professor for people she could connect with on campus who were non-white. The university then sends out a campus-wide or 
department-wide email within the drama department, faculty, students, the whole nine, explaining what happens. Steve Ernest is a professor in the drama department. He hits reply all and says, sorry, but I don't think it's a big deal. I'm just sad people get their feelings hurt so easily and they are going into theater. That has put Steve Ernest in the crosshairs at Coastal Carolina. He has been targeted as racist. Uh, he, they, uh, students have organ they organized a boycott. Uh, this LA Times story goes on to tell a story about one of the girls that was offended by the chalkboard, uh, said that Steve Ernest was her advisor. Uh, and that at first he struck her as laid back and lenient, but as she got to know him more, she came to see him as out of touch and awkwardly inappropriate. Two incidents stood out. The first one was when he returned to campus after a fellowship in China, and he told this young woman, oh wow, looks like you've shaped up well. You look so good now. He said this, and the woman understood that he said this to her, because he was complimenting her on having lost weight. She had weighed more than 200 pounds when she joined the university, but it still felt wrong. <laughs> then, just this fall, he advised her to audition for outdoor Shakespeare theater companies that were seeking diversity, and he said, quote, definitely casting people like you. She wondered if he told her that only because she is black. This man is in the crosshairs and they're trying to run him off campus for that. I read a story a few days before about something that was going on at Fordham University where a professor, two female black students walked into the class late. He confused their names and called one the other and the other the other one. They took it as racist, complained. He wrote a long apology, and within his apology, talked about like, man, I built my whole curriculum around uh, racial justice and diversity and inclusion and blah, blah, blah. The students ended up getting him fired, and they got him fired because they said his apology made him, made him sound like he was their white savior. I could go on and on and on with these crazy stories happening on college campuses, and it just, they're being indoctrinated, they're being pampered, they're, they're, they're walking around looking for racial problems in every direction, they're being supported by their white allies and colleagues, and it just, Wilfred, I need you, I know you teach at Kentucky State, it's probably less of an issue at Kentucky State. It's a traditionally uh, black college and university, but I know you're friends with professors and you worked other places. Is this what college campuses and environments are like, where everybody has to walk around on these type eggshells? 
I, I really think that depends where you are. I mean, in the United States, if you're looking at anything from sport to race relations, I mean, there's a lot of attention paid to a few locations on the east and the west coast, and those aren't always that representative. I mean, if you talk about most of the integrated uh, HBCUs like Kentucky State, the, the A&M, sort of the RTC schools, community colleges, southern colleges, I mean, I, I really don't think you're you're seeing this situation. But there are a lot of colleges that don't fit those four bills. So, yeah, th this stuff happens. I mean, I'm friends with Peter Bogosian, for example, up there at Portland State, and he, he left his job to become a consultant, essentially, because this was so frequent. It was so constant. Students protesting outside the office and so on down the line. So it is real. What advice, and, and I don't want to, because I love my university, Ball State's where I regret, but, but it's in the middle of Indiana. The, the atmosphere and the culture of the campus is completely the opposite of the atmosphere and culture of the county that it's in and of the state that it's in. And... To some degree, I feel like I'm support with my money and passion and promotion that I feel like I'm promoting something I don't believe in. Well, I think that the so this is a decision that alumni are going to have to make. Now, first of all, I mean, I'm very familiar with Ball State. I spent a couple of years undergrad in MAC school. A good, fun campus, solid academic school. I, I don't know if Ball State's really one of the, the hardcore outliers when it comes to this crazy stuff. But alumni from many, many universities, I mean, Duke is one that really does come to mind, are going to have to decide, I mean, is this something I want to support with my checkbook, with my pocketbook? And I think the best way for alumni to make a difference actually is engage with the college. So when development calls, you just say, so what, what have you been doing down there? I see all these protests and marches and you fall in a couple spots in the academic rankings. Is, is there some kind of plan to stop that? Because otherwise this is gonna be the last year I give. And I think if 10,000 people do that for the larger MAC schools or 20,000 people do that for an SEC or ACC school, then you're all of a sudden gonna see some real changes on campus. I mean, the all of the wokeness is going to be tolerated only insofar as it doesn't make the college not sustainable. I would say that that's something we learned in business with downsizing and so on down the line. All right, you wrote a book on racial hoaxes and hate crimes. Uh, Jussie Smollett is on trial as we speak. I would imagine you're following the trial. What are your expectations here? Uh, do we think Jussie Smollett gets convicted of a real crime and perhaps has to go to prison? Well, I mean, the, the mad Frenchman, Juicy Smollier, I mean, yeah, like like virtually everyone in that kind of legal business community, I, I am following this case. I obviously have a more than usual interest in it. By the way, I will say a lot of these college campus incidents come pretty close to the hoaxes I described in hate crime hoax, by the way. I mean, when you're talking about a, an academic professor getting fired because he got someone's name wrong, or this thing with the names on the board, which is reported in local papers as though potentially there's some kind of terrorist threat or the Klan had written them. So, I mean, every noose so on that you find on a college campus almost invariably turns out to be something like a kid's rope swing. This is all part of the same pattern. But in the Jussie Smollett case in particular, I mean, he's facing a range of low-grade but real felony charges. I believe there are six of them. Uh, what I would suspect would happen in this case is that he's going to get something like probation or 30 days in jail. 
because this isn't one of those cases where the defenders of the narrative, if you will, are going to try really hard to hammer him. This was a black, gay, popular guy that was trying to make a point for, you know, the right side of the fence if you're on the political left. So I, I think that they're going to be this might well be walk a shot like it's going to go away as quickly as possible. Wilfred, a lot of people say over social media, it's a popular joke that the supply of racism isn't meeting the demand. And that's why Jesse Smollett and a lot of these things on college campus, that's why the LA Times is writing about a professor saying, hey, you look good. You're down from your high of 250 pounds, blah, blah, blah. That somehow this is an example of racism or awkward behavior from a professor. How much truth is there in the fact that some people believe like, No, you have to gin up examples of this type of racism because people just aren't doing these things uh, enough or even maybe not even at all. Because I love people like we're supposed to live in fear of militias. And I just don't know any black people who live in these rural areas where where the militia people can actually get at them. I'm just... I grew up, you know, I'm 54. I can actually remember the KKK holding rallies in the Indianapolis area and things like that. That stuff just doesn't happen anymore. And so is there no supply? Is there a supply chain jam up? Are they all stuck out on Chinese boats somewhere in our ports and they, the racism just can't get in? Um, I, I think the real situation is not all that far from that. I mean, to, to kind of go into my lane into the wonky numbers, I mean, uh, Eric Kaufman, good political scientist, released a report called The Social Construction of Racism pretty recently. I mean, it's 40 pages of numbers. What do you expect from an academic paper? But one of the things that he mentioned almost in passing is that the percentage of both whites and blacks that support interracial dating, sex, marriage, I mean, as intimate as you can get, is currently around 94%. So the old school bigotry, I think, is almost gone. I mean, the percentage of kids in this generation that are racially mixed is probably around a quarter if you look at marriages. So I I do think that all of these groups that have a huge stake in kind of keeping the old fight going, you know, Southern Poverty Law Center, not to single them out, but has a well-invested endowment of $470 million. That's Fortune 1000 level. I mean, I definitely do think there's a conscious move here, black studies department, so on, to almost redefine these terms. So if you read uh, any Ibram Kendi and a knee Henry Rogers, but he would argue that any gap in performance is racism. So you're just, you're arguing that anything that makes people feel upset or unhappy in any way is racist. And I do think that part of the reason for that proposed change is that you just don't have, you don't have like the 1938 Detroit riot anymore, blacks and whites fighting for three days with brickbats. So if that's what racism's traditionally meant, do you just say, well, okay, we won? And, you know, kind of pack up the shop and go get a job? Maybe not. I think (laughs) you're a thousand percent right that we're seeing a redefining of, of racism. And it's anything that hurts your feelings or makes you remotely uncomfortable must be racist. Uh, I, I just... Do we come out of this or I mean, because, again, just like you said, 
the Southern Poverty Leadership, the NAACP, Al Sharpton, they don't exist if they don't have something to fight. And so I guess fighting the crime thoughts of politically incorrect white people is the new frontier for racism. Well, I think that one, so, I mean, first of all, yeah, there, there's a lot of truth to that. You also have the kind of new young lions when it comes to, you know, the field of revolutionary poetry or whatever, X fundraising. I mean, the various Black Lives Matter chapters led by a BLM Global Initiative raised $10.6 billion over the last two years. That's a real figure from The Economist. And I haven't really seen them asked as, you know, an active member of the black business community, where'd that money go? And I, I have some real curiosity about that. I'd love to do an investigative piece on that specifically. But I mean, I think that what normal people can do is resist the change by not allowing the redefinition. So racism still in every dictionary, every serious social science paper means racial animus. So if someone says, well, by racism, I mean the fact that whites outscore blacks and blacks sometimes outscore Latinos on the SAT math exam, you can just say, well, that's not what it means. I'm not going to go down that road because you're just making up nonsense. And this is true for a whole bunch of terms, quote unquote, gender is not sex, sex work is just prostitution and so on down the line. So one thing the silent majority can do there is in the shows we run, we're both obviously active on media, papers in your town, whatever, just use words that mean what they always have. You don't have to accept Dr. Kendi's definition of what a racist is because that's everybody. Mm. Wilfred, thank you so much for the time. Uh, have a good fall, or not fall, good winter. Uh, enjoy the holidays. All right, thanks, All right, Jason. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe, hit that likes button. If you're on Apple, give me that five-star review. Leave a comment and message. I love the ones you've been uh, leaving me. I read them all. All right, uh, Uncle Jimmy gonna have an approval rating on, <laughs> why am I forgetting this? We're gonna have an approval rating on Antonio Brown. My bad, I can't, we've discovered, we've gone through so many topics today, I couldn't remember where we started. We started with Antonio Brown, and we'll get his thoughts on the entire show. Time to review the show and do our approval rating on Antonio Brown. Uncle Jimmy's here. Jim, I know that you want to start off by telling me how great I was, but look, everybody expects me to be great. There's no reason for you to tell people how great I was during today's show. So I just don't even waste your time complimenting me on how good I was. People want to hear your review of everybody else and whether or not they were up to my standards. Jason, truthfully, why would I waste my time telling you how good you look when you already know that you are a legend in your own mind? Thank you. I Thank mean, you. honestly. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> seriously. Yeah. But honestly, hey man, seriously, can I ask you something? Can we please skip all of this here, man? Because I need to know what in the Stormy Daniels hell is going on with Deion Sanders taking Brittany Renner down to talk to his college, college teammates. Deion Sanders and, and Brittany Renner. 
Deion Sanders took Brit had Brittany Renner come and speak to his college teammates. Bundle of Brittany, one of my favorite Instagram follows years ago. Oh, you're gonna love this, man. Check this out, man. You guys get in these in these situations where you have your favorite person or you're in a relationship and y'all wanna play. Like there are repercussions to everything that you do, good, bad, or indifferent. Because there is a cost at telling the truth. But there is an even greater cost when you lie. That's a good game So as a man, you be prepared to stand on principle. So if you want to lie and you want to cheat, you know, just like in my situation, then you got to accept it how it comes. Accept what comes behind it. I feel like a lot of men do cheat because they are afraid of, well, what if I'm being faithful and I'm just a duck and she's cheating or lying on me? But the thing is, is when you cheat, you're really only cheating yourself out of something real because the relationship is only going to go as deep as you're able to go with yourself. And so if you're committed as a man, you gave this woman your word. If you're committed and you don't honor that commitment, then really what are you worth? And where where are you going? What are you doing? Because you're wasting your own time. So I don't know if it's just like a hypothetical situation, but I feel like if you're going to cheat on whoever you're with, then just leave. Have some respect for yourself and leave. See, when y'all get my age and my stage, you got to learn how to listen. Because when you listen, a woman really tells on herself. Do you understand how passionate she was about that? Did you understand how passionate she was about that? You either adding to me or helping me multiply or you subtract and divide. And all those people that subtract and divide, the little pettiness and all that, they got to go. They in there for just a moment because I dismiss them, I flush them and move on to the next page. I don't even look back. I can respect anyone's truth, but I do not f*** with liars. Once you, once you lie one time, your credibility is shot. Like there's nothing left to discuss because you don't even respect yourself enough to tell yourself the truth. So if you're gonna like, that's cool you lie to everybody else, but don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself. So for me, whatever you put out into the world, you have to get back. It's the Karma Cafe where you're served what you deserve. So I, I, I appreciate you keeping it 100 and being authentic with us. Let's clap it up for me. I'm not. Go ahead and say it. I'm not touching that. You no, no, no. I'm, I'm I'll, <laughs> definitely with. Uh, but listen, what I'm going to say is I just want to be crystal clear. I, I love what Dion's doing at Jackson State. The attention he's bringing to HBCU football, uh, his commitment to Jackson State. I, I'm a Dion Sanders supporter. I think Dion is making uh, a mistake. I, and I say that and also, I, I'm just, there's no value to platforming Brittany Renner to a bunch of young men in a college football setting. Now, if Brittany Renner was on the other side of being an Instagram thought. If she was like, if her message was like, hey guys, you gotta be careful with people like me and uh, who I was back then and you know, I thought I was getting fulfillment out of this and blah, 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 blah. I, I could almost, but she's not on the other side of that. 
She's out hustling right now, using Dion and Jackson State to continue to build up her brand. She came dressed like a thought. Now, I'm, I used to be young, now, even at 54. Brittany Renner comes to talk to me in some tight booty shorts with the legs out and some Yeezys on, tight shirt. It's hard for me to focus. I don't even... It, who is it? Charlie Brown went wah, wah, wah. The teacher just sounds like wah, 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 wah. That's how Brittany Renner would have sounded to me, particularly at their age. But even at my own age, that's what she sounded like. Cause I'm, and if I'm in that room and she's got those legs out and looking like, and then her message, there's no depth to what she's talking about or saying. And, and literally, for, and I say this, to Dion and with, with authentic love, man, most of those kids, I'm just, t I'm telling you what I would think when I walked out of that room. What's the number one joke and message I would be saying amongst my teammates? You think Prime's tapping that? Did that not, has that not, did that not cross your mind? And if you were a young man, that, to me, I guarantee you, more conversation was had debating whether Prime was tapping that than debating anything she said. I disagree with and, you. And then the second conversation would be, do you think I can tap that? There you go. <laughs> I can do that better than Prime. <laughs> he look, his foot all messed up. I can do better than that. And so, I... It's trending all over Twitter. I can see other coaches think, oh, I'm going to have Brittany Ritter on campus. I, if Ed Orgeron was still the head coach at LSU, trust me, she would be booked today. <laughs> I mean, we know how Ed Orgeron lets you know how they got down. And she would be booked today. The university would be cutting her some check for coming to speak. Because, again, they pay those speakers five, ten, whatever, $1,000. And Brittany Renner's now got her a nice little business. Cut the check. Coach Ed, oh, uh, we'll see if, if you can really make me oh. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just, this seems silly to me. Well, you know why this happened, right? You know why it happened. You know uh, why he did it. Why? Because Megan Thee Stallion wasn't available. <laughs> You know, I'm serious, man. Hey, look. And Jim, you're joking, but that is where this goes next. Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, uh, Little Kim may dust off her CDs and, <laughs> and, and try to get on this Queen Latte, whoever, or any. Look, man, I respect Prime for trying to keep it real with these young guys, you know, but honestly, man, what, what, what's next? He gonna bring Snoop in to talk about the harms and effects of recreational marijuana use? No, 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 again, Brittany Renner wasn't there talking about the harms and effects. She was there basically promoting her lifestyle, just like keep it honest. If you just wanna, if, if you just want me to be a thought, just tell me you want me to be a thought. So don't, don't try to put, cause yeah, she got that young guy, PJ Washington knocked her up or whatever. Uh, and you know they were allegedly in a relationship, but no, he Snoop would come on campus to talk about the joys of marijuana use and how it uh, enhanced his career. So he would be there promoting drug use, and and literally 
That and look, Snoop has been going on football sidelines from USC to every place else. All of this stuff we do to appeal to young people and to make us seem cool. Every, all these, it ain't just Dion, because again, Pete Carroll had Snoop on the side. All of these coaches want to be seen as the friends of their players. They think it will help with recruiting, and maybe it does, but it does not help with the building of men. It's, it's just a recruiting tactic, and so, I'm telling you, I like Dion, but a lot of the stuff he does has no substance to it. And this here has no substance to it other than that transfer portal is popping. Dion's been tweeting about the transfer portal and come holler at me. He's been tweeting about it all week, right. the last two weeks. And literally, I just, he just brought Brittany Renner on campus and it's got the video floating out now, and it's a message to the transfer portal that, hey, Brittany Renner's on this campus, come get you some if you think you man enough, and, and there's just no... I, I, I didn't really understand it, because, I mean, she was saying things, and I, I didn't understand what she was saying. She, 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 said, uh, 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 she said, accept it as it comes. Okay, now, I understand what that means, but I don't know if these kids understand what that means, Jason. What does it mean? I don't understand. It means that you, you have to accept it as it comes. That means if you got to get it in a you car. You don't understand it either. It means if you got to get it in a car, get it in a garage, get it at a Cuomo fundraiser, it just adds a whole new meaning to the term, get in where you fit in. You can't be mad at her. I, I'm not... Hats off to her. Brittany Renner is, you know, using her God-given gifts or what she believes are her God-given gifts. Again, who shows up to speak to college kids in a, in a football environment in hot pants or hot shorts or booty shorts or whatever those was? Uh, is this a dress? That was a dress? That was a dress. That was a dress. I'm positive. Let me tell you something about that you, dress. That, that was a dress. Let me tell you. Let me, you know who she looked How like? How far did it go Jason, do you know who she looked like? Was she it a miniskirt? Like, I don't know. Look, she looked like Sharon Stone from the movie Basic Instinct. Yes. Is she? You, you, look, 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 look. Oh, I didn't know that was a dress. Thigh, legs, thighs, yeah. I, well, regardless. I couldn't concentrate. Well, yeah, you, you, you have that. But I mean, honestly, man, you know what? She said that when you cheat... You're only cheating with yourself. Now, I, when she said that, man, I, I had no choice but to quote, quote Bunk from The Wire. Because you know what Bunk would have said. She. Why would you just blow that? You're I messed that whole You're sitting here talking lot. to a wi uh, Wire expert. That is not Bunk. That's not Bunk? That's Clay Davis. Damn. <laughs> Senator Clay Davis. I messed that whole thing up. <laughs> Whoever said Bunk statement is... I messed that Giving an F when it ain't your turn. Well, see, I couldn't say that. My, my bottom line, I looked at it, man. It was just, that, that's all I can say about that. Who, whoever helped, I see, that's, they got that in problem. Whoever helped you. Let, let, I messed that up. We got to go. Let's go. Man. I got to give my approval rating on, and I'm going to roll through it very quickly on Antonio Brown. We do have that, yeah. Uh, I gave him a zero in job performance, a two in character, 
a 23 in authenticity, a 16 in it factor, a total of 41. It's a dumpster fire. I gave him a 25 just for the fact that the dude still got a job after burning up his feet. <laughs> I mean, and honestly, man, you got to accept the fact, because they always talk about how, how we as a black man, it, it, we, we haven't come, come, you know, in America. Keep in mind, Antonio Brown is a black athlete that called his boss a cracker-ass cracker, and he's still employed. <laughs> hey, I guess it's true. Black jobs matter. <laughs> All right, hopefully I hear tomorrow. Uh, we'll see you on Monday. No negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just want to have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'll break my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all want to be free. We want freedom. I just want I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want.